0: Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app.
1: You are listening to Troubadours and Rock on Tours with EW Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to episode two hundred and fifty-three of Troubadours and Rock-on Tours with yours truly, EW Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have our resident historian and Marxist, Serf William. We talk with the Serf about the Roman Republic and how it then became an empire via some folks like Cicero and Caesar and we compare that to where we are today in our US of A. We talk about examining your belief system, a true democracy, the flaws in our institutions, though those institutions being still very beneficial to society. Individual freedom versus security. We talk about the fragility of democracy and being happy warriors, among other things. It's an audacious, insightful, fun conversation once again with Sir William. We also have an EW essay by yours truly titled Warmer and an excerpt from the great work by Jack Kerouac, On the Road, and a poem called Thumb. And this, as is always the case, will be ensconced, infused, imbued with a great energy via several great tunes. So nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 253 of Troubadours and Tours." Warmer. It's really early 2018, and baby, at the moment I scribble this down, it is cold outside, literally and figuratively. I cannot help myself from thinking about the thousands I don't even know how many, we rarely talk about it people who live out in the streets or in the woods. They really don't mean much to us. I am pissed because I let my cat in last night to keep warm, and she urinated on my overdue pile of laundry. It was in my cellar. Extra space that I have in my home to roam away from the stresses of family life to steal away some quiet while sipping some small batch distilled and puffing on quality pipe tobacco, thinking I have it tough. It's all relative, I suppose, though my nose is not purple with frostbite, and my discontent does not border on the depths of being totally forgotten and lost physical perhaps spiritually as well though what do we know about another's soul they in the depths of coldness and dark might be warmer of heart than you or me (laughs)
2: Oh, h h the little things you say and do.
1: Surf William, Surf William.
3: I have, to put, I have to put my earbuds in.
1: Put your earbuds in and get ready like to talk to us here on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, with yours oh, truly, E. W. Conundrum, Demure.
3: I'm not as sharp as I normally, as you would normally expect me to be. I know you expect me to be very sharp and on point.
1: Yes, yes, <laughs> I do. I do. I mean, you are our resident historian. And that's a big yep. responsibility. The people of uh, the world, really, are listening in to hear your perspective.
3: And I, just, I just like to start with this caveat that um, I'm in the third day of a four-day weekend. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little dull around the edges, man.
1: Yeah, what have you been doing? You're sitting around on the couch oh smoking a hookah <laughs> with your
3: girlfriend? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I was not expecting... You know, we had, obviously, Monday was New Year's Day. We were back to work on Tuesday. We worked Tuesday, Wednesday, and I was not expecting to have just a two-day work week with another four-day weekend. So, um, yeah, so here I am. I've been good. I got out on the cross-country skis on on Thursday and Friday. I'm going to try and get out again today, but it's so unbelievably cold out. It's outrageous. It is. It is.
1: I think my cats are dead. I'm not sure.
3: <laughs> I'm
1: going to call the SPCA on you. <laughs> yeah. I, no, they're fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk to you today about some of the things that are dead, like uh, the Republic of Rome, um, the Roman Empire, and some of the people who who brought it to a, a great position. Uh, and yeah. Then, yeah. And then also turned it around. Into something else, and maybe there's a parallel. I guess you're thinking between what's what happened then and what's happening well, now yeah. here in in our empire in the United States. Yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, but 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 let me start by saying I, I don't count Rome out. I got a good feeling about Rome. I think it's going to Rome's going to rise. It's going again. Rise again. I, just feel, I, I can feel it.
1: All right. I, yeah. Well, I can feel it. Mark that down, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to talk about some of the leaders, and it looks like this is chronological. The way I was I was uh, looking up, just to brush up. I'm not, you know, the historian you are. So I, I I read up a little bit on Marius, Sulla, Cicero. Oh, good. And Caesar, Julius, I suppose, oh, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad I'm glad you did. I mean, more important, you know, more important than the than the personalities. Although the personalities are over the top. I mean, I mean. Uh, uh, truth is truly stranger than fiction when you when you study these individuals. Uh, like I tell my students all the time, I'm not worried about individuals. I'm not worried about dates. I'm not worried about names. I'm I'm. When I teach history, I try to teach concepts, and I think that the concepts are. You know, if your student walks out of a class and they get these larger concepts, and these concepts make them think about their their. Uh, society, about modern about modern problems that we're having, about current political issues that we're facing, I think that's that's one of the main reasons we teach history in my opinion. So uh, all those personalities are important, uh, but the larger dynamic of what was happening in Rome in Rome in the in the middle the middle second century, the late second century up until the middle first century BC. Those, the the the, the political uh, machinations and the and the dynamic and the 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 changes to the political uh, society and political institutions, I think those are the relevant. Those are the relevant lessons that we in modern America should 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 examine.
1: When you when you talk about the changes, are you talking about when Rome went from being a republic to an empire? Exactly.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way to sum it up. That's, a, that's exactly right. And I mean, historians can continue to study, you know, what happened. Right. It was it was a very Rome was very anomalous in the ancient ancient world because it had this concept of democracy. Now, their democracy was clearly, you know, not a, a true democracy. I mean, it was like any early democracy, even in this country. It, it had to do with the with the aristocracy. And those who those who controlled the resources and the and the the upper classes really ran the show, but there were still political institutions that gave commoners the opportunity to express their political will. Um, that all started to change in the middle second century, going into the first century.
1: And because you had power mongers yeah. such as. Cicero, I guess and and Caesar, Julius, who yeah and, t- took it into the Empire where right. Julius was a dictator. Well, and, what,
3: and, and what happened was you know, and we and, and here's the dilemma and this is a big dilemma for me personally. I, I, you know it makes me examine my own personal philosophy, which I've held for the last 35 years and, and you know, I like when I like when I'm forced to examine my belief system. And determine why I believe what I believe, you know where my ideas come from, how philosophically and ideologically sound are my are my ideas the, the ideas that make up the essence of who I am and and um, what if these ideas these notions are challenged and one of the things you get over and over again at this at this phase in Roman history is this idea of the um optimates and the populares and that was the the ruling class the optimates and the populares the, the populists and you know it's making me ask now you know what is a populist and what are the what what are the consequences of a populist leader claiming to advocate for the people uh, at the expense of the of the uh, institutions of government and what i mean by that is I was always a angry young. I was always a politically angry young man. I was the first one to scream power to the people. I was the first one to scream smash the state. Right, you know me for a long time. Um, oh god, yeah. I mean, I might not have been out in the street, you know, you know, marching on 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 the institutions, but my philosophy has always been: these big institutions, especially these big political institutions, they're inherently flawed. They're inherently flawed. Uh, Power is consolidated. They don't really reflect the will of the people. Um, Something has to be done to either modify them drastically in a revolutionary way or subvert them or just tear them down and build up new ones. But now when I'm studying Rome and I see what happens when a leader comes along, the leader claims to be a populist, the leader claims to speak for the people, um, and the leader advocates – doing away with political institutions that have been in place for hundreds of years and what the consequences are of that. And, you know, obviously now we've got this guy in the White House, who I think is a complete fraud in every way. Uh, but ironically, ironically, you know, this guy, and I know it's all self-serving and I know it's, it's incoherent, you know, semi-senile ranting, but this is the guy who's, who's speaking out against the FBI, this is the guy who's speaking out against the institutions. Now, he's not really. I mean, these institutions have only helped him. But we're starting to see what happens when these institutions that people such as myself have called you know, corrupt and flawed, we're starting to see what happens when these institutions are brought into question and we, we can't fall back on judges and the courts and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And foreign diplomats, you know, our diplomatic corps that, that for, for the last 75 years has gone around the world, you know, sort of mediating issues in the best interests of the United States. Uh, we can criticize all those institutions because there are times when they're absolutely flawed and they absolutely make huge mistakes. But those institutions do serve to ensure some stability, not only domestically, but internationally. And we're starting to see what happens when we chip away at them, when we attack these institutions. And it's a little bit scary. Uh, right. They faced it in ancient Rome, you know, right around the time of Marius and Sulla, the, Grok, the Gracchi brothers, you know, it started, historians believe that it started with the Gracchi brothers, who, in the name of populism, started to do end runs around the customs and traditions of the Senate. So you start to see what happens when, when influential leaders start to tell the population, hey, we don't have to follow these rules anymore. We're going to do things differently. We know it's been done this way for hundreds of years, but, but in the name of populism and in the name of the people and in the name of, of, for example, redistribution of land in ancient Rome, we're going to do an end run around all these institutions. Well, you see the same thing with Trump now. Now, it makes me say all of these ancient Roman figures who I consider to be heroes You know, now I have to to question my beliefs and say, were they really heroes or were they self-aggrandizing? Did they really care about the people or did they just hate their fellow senators so much that they wanted to subvert their rule? So it's making me question a lot of the beliefs that I, I held as core beliefs for a long time. And now we see Trump doing the same thing with our institutions. And my God, I'm actually cheering for the FBI. Right. The first the first time in my life I'm cheering for the FBI. I mean, this is an institution this is an institution that, that um, didn't just prolong and encourage, but actually took an active part in the oppression of black people in this country. This is an institution that would not acknowledge the existence of organized crime. This is an institution that continuously violated people's rights in the name of state security. And I always thought it to be deeply flawed. But not in the way that this particular person in the White House right now claims that it's flawed. And I'm also seeing what happens when we as a culture start to really question these institutions and how destabilizing and scary it can be. Um, If somebody said to me, uh, it's a battle between individual freedoms and security. So in order to enhance security, we all remember America after 9-11. Everybody was ready to give up all their civil rights because they thought there was a terrorist under everybody's bed. Uh, I, of course, was opposed to that. And I said, no, 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 if you ever have to err, you, you, you err on the side of, of, of personal liberty. But now I'm saying to myself, oh, so this is what happens when we start to, this is what happens when we start to uh, say personal, individual liberty at all costs, everything else be damned. It can have a destabilizing effect. So I'm 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 not changing my view of the world based on my study of Rome and based on what we're experiencing now in the White House. But I am reconsidering some things I held as longstanding beliefs.
1: And you know, I mean, that was really well uh, explained, and I appreciate it. I, and what makes what comes to mind? I wonder about if it has to do your your view now uh, as a 51 year old. As compared to as a 21-year-old, with just age and an experience and wisdom, you're not as much as an idealist, perhaps more of a pragmatist now. And you know, some folks when they're younger say, "Don't trust the old folks because they they get they get uh, soft or they get conservative, they sure. get nervous and afraid of their of, of security, of losing security." And we need to fight at all costs so that we can keep our. Uh, individual freedom you think that's part of why your mindset has changed the fact that you're older now
3: well you know i still i still uh, uh even though i'm 51 i still say trust no one over 30 and i also say that um i haven't changed my belief that a lot of these uh systems and institutions are innately flawed and do need to be changed but where I, and I, this isn't a radical change from my earlier beliefs, I, I, I do believe change probably would be better if it were evolutionary as opposed to revolutionary. And revolutionary I Evolutionary
1: as opposed to revolutionary. What do you mean by that? Well,
3: I, what I mean is, you know, institutions can be reformed. Uh, uh, leadership can change. Uh, 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 belief systems can slowly change over time. Uh, Institutions can change over time. Leadership can be changed. They can take these institutions in a different direction. I'm not opposed to the court system. I'm not opposed to the criminal justice system. But what I see over and over again in our criminal justice system is overt racism, um, an old boy network that ensures that if you have money, you have a much better opportunity to game the system and be found innocent. Uh, of any charges, as opposed to if you're destitute. Um, so I see a lot of flaws in institutions that, at their core, are are beneficial to society. A judicial system is beneficial to society. It's better than an emperor simply mandating, uh, you know, this person's guilty and this person's innocent based on their own opinion or personal grudges. We all, I think, can agree on that. But the problem with our judicial system, as we see over and over again, is it's easily gamed if you have money. And so I'm not an advocate for scrapping the criminal justice system or the civil justice system. I'm just simply in favor of of reform and maybe even radical reform of these systems. And I still kind of believe it can happen, um, although it certainly is a frustrating and 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 and, um, you know, glacial glacial process
1: do you think most of your fellow citizens in these united states are aware of a lot uh of the 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 problems the flaws that excuse me that you see that you're discussing today
3: yeah well i mean the proof is in the the proof is in the election results i mean i do believe that trump ran on a racist platform i think i think at the the core of trump's message there was some really deep-seated racism there But I also believe that there was a large group of people that voted for him because they're just so, um, they're so disgusted with the current system, economic, political, judicial, that they saw a guy come along. He, he, He advocated easy answers to complex, to really complicated, complex problems. And your average, you know, the average voter, especially the average Trump voter, clearly, you know, wasn't able to critically think about the situation for a moment and ask themselves critically, is this the person who represents reform and change in a system that I believe is flawed and not working for me? So so the initial gut feeling of of, of the need for change, I think, was absolutely correct on the part of a lot of Trump voters, where the Trump voters fell down was in the critical thinking department you and i have talked about this in the past you know as a, as a society we lack critical thinking skills so do i think people see the same kinds of flaws in the system absolutely do i think a lot of people are capable of analyzing the whole situation and all its complexities and making some rational conclusions about the direction we should go in that's where we, that's where we have some problems
1: yeah, uh, we do not. Right. That's the problem. Right. Well, you and I go back to that every single time we talk, right. I think. But we're both educators, and we know the value of it. You have to. We have to educate uh, at a very young age so that people feel comfortable, they have the skill set yep. to be critical thinkers. And also, society punishes critical thinkers as soon as you start asking questions that are uncomfortable or that muddy up that simplicity that someone like 45 will will uh, frame everything everything in Mm -hmm. they get mad at you everybody gets mad at you
3: well and you know nothing nothing makes me feel better when i'm in class i always you know i teach high school kids and i do have a class of seniors now in, in roman history and latin grammar and um i they know where i stand politically you know my students who care, the students that are tuned in, they all know where I stand politically. They know what part of the spectrum I occupy, and most of them, since they're young and idealistic, pretty much agree with me. But I do have some students that that are conservative. You know, they may have even been Trump voters. I'm not sure about that. They don't. they are giving
1: they're, them Fs, right? They're getting Fs no matter what. Right, they do, Right. Right. Well,
3: this is my point. This is my point. I, I, the first thing I do is I do not hide my political beliefs, and I make it very clear to my students that my beliefs are based on my life experiences, on what I've studied, on my historical studies, um, on what I see around me, on research, on precedent. You know, my, my, my political opinions aren't simply based on a whim. They're, they were developed over a long time of studying and thinking about these things and looking into research and, and, and using, God forbid, using science. Uh, I love, however, and I do have some conservative students. Now, nobody voted for Trump in my class because none of them are old enough to vote. But, you know, I think they might be leaning that way. But I will tell you that when I'm talking about Marius and Sulla um, and uh, the Catiline conspiracy and the Gracchi brothers, and I frame it in terms of the debate between uh, individual freedom and the security of your state, Uh, And I talk about things like the fragility of democracy, for example, because let's face it, as I tell my students, democracy is really only vital and vibrant if we all kind of agree to play by the rules, you know, democracy can be subverted overnight. If a group of people or, or, or several political groups say, we're not going to follow these rules anymore, we're not going to honor these institutions that we've always honored. We're seeing that now in our, own, in our own society. So I really love when my conservative students, when I say things like that, like, for example, democracy is a very fragile thing. In ancient Rome, you had factions that decided they weren't going to honor the institutions that were centuries old. They were going to subvert those institutions or they were going to do end runs around them and you see what starts to happen. For example, political violence. Once you go down the path of political violence, you really undermine the foundations of democracy, and you really face serious crises because your whole democratic institution could fall down. And I love when my conservative students not in agreement with that. And I say, do you see, we might have different political ideas, but we're not that radically different when it comes to this idea that these institutions are worthwhile, they're valuable, they're worth reforming. They're definitely worth saving. Rather that than tear it all down, introduce chaos into the equation, and then sort of see what happens. So I do believe there's a lot of common ground for the left and the right to come together. We just need some more articulate, articulate, honest, genuine leadership, which is what we're really lacking right now.
1: Right. And that people are self-serving and using divisive means to... Uh, contain and to hold on to the power that they have, and and uh, you know that's that's basically the the underhanded uh, drive be, behind a, a person like forty five and and his his uh, sh- you know uh, crony. Uh, yeah, and the uh, and
3: the laws that are in crew. place, right? The laws that are in place to ensure that the leadership behaves itself. You know what happens if Donald Trump? And this is just a way out there. For instance, I don't believe this is going to happen. But what happens if Donald Trump says? In in two thousand in, in twenty twenty, I'm suspending the elections.
1: You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, right.
3: There's a state. We have a state security issue here. Uh, I, I agree with you guys. You know what? Russia's been meddling in our elections. I changed my mind. Russia's been meddling in our elections. The whole system's broken. We can't ensure fair elections. I'm suspending the 2020 elections until we can determine that our electoral systems are all uh, legitimate and 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 uh, free of free of um, infiltration. And what if the Senate says, "Okay, Mr. President, you know, we're going to give you that. We're going to give you that power. You know, all of a sudden, this this custom, which we call and this law that we followed for the past 200 years, over Two hundred years of voting every four years all of a sudden it goes away you know what happens next who knows right, what a, happens next
1: and that's a step from being a republic to an empire right you know, right you know the dictatorship now is is what we have instead of the presidency some people would argue in many ways you know that, that we're not a democracy uh, and I, I know you don't believe that it's not a true democracy I think you would say but we're certainly Republican. not a dictatorship. It's a,
3: it's a, what's the term? A Republican democracy? It's a representative democracy? I mean, we elect yeah, people yeah. to express our desires uh, you know, within government because we can't and all do it individually. And it's because
1: of money. And it's flawed because of it's the influence deeply, of it's money. It's deeply flawed. Yeah, it's,
3: but, yeah. they, but again, you're right. It's deeply, deeply flawed. And money is a big issue. But then the question becomes, okay, it's flawed. What do we do now? Do we reform? Right. Or do we overthrow? Um, those are serious, serious questions. Now, let me just say this. If you're at the bottom rungs of the socioeconomic system, then revolution... You've got nothing to lose. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Revolution doesn't look that bad. Revolution right. doesn't look that bad. Uh, and this really is a test of
1: what, what kind of democracy we are, what kind of uh, citizenry we have. How are we going to face the real challenges, uh, our, our institutions and our society... Uh, are are dealing with that present how do how, how do we how do we respond this is a, a great opportunity for us as a country to show that we are united in 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 terms of what we stand for what are what uh what is the best the most ethical moral utilitarian way to go from here
3: yeah well there's a lot of um there's a lot of very energetic well-funded efforts to subvert this idea of critical thinking to subvert this concept of commonality between left and right. I mean, in my opinion, the Republican Party has grown, has become expert at, at um, exploiting wedge issues to keep us divided. Uh, oh my God. It's a brilliant, yeah. Yeah. you know, we've seen over the last 70 years or so, this brilliant Republican strategy of, of emphasizing wedge issues that people feel very strongly about that people will vote in favor of to the detriment of their own economic right. uh, uh economic gain it's truly shocking yeah. it's truly shocking that somebody would vote for a candidate who is going to who is going to change the tax laws so that we experience a greater redistribution of wealth from the work poor and, and working class up to the wealthy they're going to get all the money. They've we already see the greatest disparity in wealth probably since ancient Rome in this in this society, and because that candidate says uh, I'm opposed to abortion, you you vote for him. Now all of his other policies are going to undermine your political your your economic stability, but because he says I want you to keep your guns, or I'm opposed to abortion, or I hate Mexicans, because he says those things. Which really don't affect hey, your day to day life in any real, in no, any real but, but he he gets
1: you he gets you scared. You you know, you're doing things against if you God vote for me. or if you're you gonna vote, be you you're gonna be me, murdered or yeah. raped or if, or you're gonna lose your culture and the American dream. It's really He crazy. scares people. Right. Yeah.
3: If you vote for me, Obviously. you'll be able to say Merry Christmas again. Right. If you vote right. for me, you get to keep your guns. If you vote for me, um we're gonna I'll make all you. we're gonna make all abortions illegal. And people hear that, right? They would be these, good with God. Right. And, and, they, and they vote for a candidate who does not have their, who not only doesn't have their best economic interests at heart, but is actually undermining their economic interests. And they vote for it, them enthusiastically.
1: Right. And it's not even of the experience they are. It doesn't appreciate or understand what they, what they are dealing with. You know, was born with a silver spoon. Right. You know,
3: well, just, just, you, you talk about critical <laughs> thinking. Who in their right mind would think that an individual born into wealth whose entire life has been dedicated to his own aggrandizement has done almost nothing for people who are, le- who are, who are worse off than he? Right. Done Nothing. Trump doesn't have a history of charitable work. Trump doesn't have Trump doesn't have a history of, 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 of giving uh, a, a portion of his wealth to charitable causes. Trump's money goes into Trump and to furthering the Trump empire, whatever that is. And and what would make you think that this guy who's never cared about you ever in his life all of a sudden cares about your economic situation?
4: Right, well, right. really, you,
3: say- you can't believe that. But you really do like when he says no more abortions. You really do like when he says I hate Obama because you hate Obama, yeah. too, because there's this well, racist well, thing going on
1: where yes there is and it's really something that you would figure would happen in a banana republic when people don't have the privilege of education and yep. and, uh, and solid institutions not here where we do have those privileges but hey we were wrong and and basically i think you hit it though cuz because there is discontent and there should be discontent in uh in certain s- segments huge segments segments that you and i are a part of in our society but this is not the way to deal with those those uh problems that you feel um Sort of just sick of having to deal with the disparity, and opportunity, and access. This is not the way. We're but also- we need to stop. We need to stop there right now. So okay. if we're going okay. off, and we All only right. have a couple minutes just,
3: left. You know what, EW? Uh, it's your show, man. Hey, it's your world. We just well, live it. Yeah, it
1: okay. Well, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Keep that. <laughs> don't forget that. Uh,
3: <laughs> but, Sir
1: William, the, the la- let us let's just wrap up. You can't wrap.
3: I need to wrap up. I can go for well, another. Well, we three have hours. to. We have
1: other. We have other other things that we have to put into this episode. Yeah, you know what this is? Of, this is of, the
3: fascism of radio programming. That's what I'm a victim <laughs> of right now.
1: Sum sum up something. <laughs> say something <laughs> to to give to give people uh, a little substance be, between now
3: and the next time you're on uh, Troubadours. And I, I read Tours. a little excerpt from Robert Reich. I won't be able to quote it all directly. It was like basically the ten points. The ten points to follow to keep. To, to, to sort of keep to sort of keep up hope. So the thing I want to say is you know what we can affect change so everybody on an individual level let's be nice to one another let's continue to research uh, the current issues let's let's support the arts. let's uh, go out and make some art let's let's not argue with the people on that side who are basically beyond reason. don't even bother arguing with them. Simply work on building up support, and momentum for what is right and what is good and what is best for this country. Critical thinking, strong political institutions, uh, political engagement by the vast majority of the population. Let's continue to work on that stuff with a smile on our face. Let's be happy warriors, and let's win this fight.
1: Beautifully said. Thank you so much, Sir William. That's it. I'm over. Uh, I'm
3: done. That's it.
1: You're done. Until next time. Uh.
3: Happy New Year. This is unjust. I want to go on record as this whole thing being unjust.
1: (laughs) Hey, (laughs) complain to your senator.
3: (laughs) Okay. Much love to you, EW.
1: Much love back to you, Sir. Shot. Hey. excerpt from Jack Kerouac's Masterpiece on the Road. First, I bought a loaf of bread and salami and made myself ten sandwiches to cross the country with. I had a dollar left. I sat on the low cement wall in back of a Hollywood parking lot and made the sandwiches using a piece of flat wood I found on the ground and cleaned to spread the mustard. As I labored at this absurd task, great Plague lights of a Hollywood premiere stabbed in the sky, that humming West Coast sky. All around me were the noises of the crazy Gold Coast city, and this was my Hollywood career. This was my last night in Hollywood, and I was spreading mustard on my lap in back of a parking lot, John. I forgot to mention that I didn't have enough money for a bus ticket all the way to New York, only Pittsburgh. I figured to worry about that when I got to Pittsburgh. My sandwiches under one arm and canvas bag in the other, I strolled around Hollywood a few hours. Whole families that had driven from the country and old jalopies went putt-putt-putt across Sunset and Vine with their eager faces searching everywhere for movie stars. All they saw was other families and other jalopies doing the same thing. They came from oaky flats outside Bakersfield, San Diego, Fresno, and San Bernardino. They read movie magazines. The little boys wanted to see Hopalong Cassidy conducting his great white horse across the traffic. The little girls wanted to see Lana Turner in a deep embrace with Robert Taylor in front of Whelan's. The mothers wanted to see Walter Pigeon in Top Hat and Tails blowing at them from the curb. The fathers, gaunt, crazy, jalopy Americans, scented money in the air. They were ready to sell their daughters to the highest bidder. On the sidewalk, characters swarmed. Everybody was looking at everybody else. It was the end of the continent. No more land. Somebody had tipped the American continent like a pinball machine, All and all the goofballs had come rolling to L.A. in the southwest corner. I cried for all of us. There was no end to the American sadness and the American madness. Some day we'll all start laughing and roll on the ground when we realize how funny it's been. Until then, there is a lugubrious seriousness I love in all this. At dawn, my bus was zooming across the Arizona desert, Indio, Blythe, Salome, where she danced. The great dry stretches leading to Mexican mountains in the south. Then we swung north to the Arizona mountains, Flagstaff, Cliff Town. I had a book with me I stole from a Hollywood stall, Les Grand Mules of Alain Fournier. But I preferred reading the American landscape as we went along. Every bump, rise, and stretch in it mystified my longing. An inky night we crossed New Mexico, immersed. At gray dawn, it was Dalhart, Texas. In the bleak Sunday afternoon, we rode through one Oklahoma flat town after another. At nightfall, it was Kansas. The bus roared on. I was going home in October. Everybody goes home in October. In Wichita, I got off the bus to hit the head. There was a young man in a loud Kansas herringbone suit saying so long to his minister father. A minute later, I saw an eye watching me from a hole in the John booth as I sat. A note was slipped through. I offer you anything on this side if you will put it through. I caught a glimpse of a loud Kansas herringbone suit through the hole. No thanks, I said through the hole. What a sad Sunday night for the Kansas minister's son. What Wichita doldrums? In a small Kansas town, a clerk said to me, "'There's nothing to do around here.' I looked down the end of the street at the infinite spaces beyond the last tumble shack. We arrived in St. Louis at noon. I took a walk down by the Mississippi River and watched the logs that came floating from Montana in the north, grand Odiasac logs of our continental dream." Old steamboats with their scrollwork, more so scrolled and withered by weathers, sat in the mud inhabited by rats. Great clouds of afternoon overtopped the Mississippi Valley. The bus roared through Indiana cornfields that night. The moon illuminated the ghostly gathered husks. It was almost Halloween. I made the acquaintance of a girl, and we necked all the way to Indianapolis. She was nearsighted. When we got off to eat, I had to lead her by the hand to the lunch counter. She bought my meals. My sandwiches were all gone. In exchange, I told her long stories. She was coming from Washington State, where she spent the summer picking apples. Her home was in an upstate New York farm. She invited me to come there. We made a date to meet at a New York hotel anyway. She got off at Columbus, Ohio, and I slept all the way to Pittsburgh. A daily dose of the manic verbose voice in my head until all turns red with passion of impatience or perhaps stratton on Avon. Ding-dong, she is here to walk that sexy unassuming way into my fray as I subtle display a teeming desire for her lush plush and the sweet sweet experienced twinkle in her eye such a smile and soft laugh verbose fantasy of a woman manic drive behind the curtain she had a fresh paper cut on her thumb
0: Put a spell on you. Cause your mind, you better stop the things you do. You're running around, you know better. Daddy, I can't stand it because you put me down. Yeah, yeah, I put a spell on you because you're my.
1: There you have it, episode two hundred and fifty three of Troubadours and on Tours, with yours truly, EW Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks that made this episode happen. First and foremost, our regular contributor and resident historian, Surf William. So much fun to talk with you. We also like to thank the great Jack for writing on the road. And these musical artists as well deserve our gratitude. Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, David Bowie, Buddy Holly, Bob Marley and the Wailers, Miles Davis, Nina Simone, Terrence Blanchard, and Brantford Marsalis, too. Until next week, enjoy this one.